And so I want to, I've entitled the sermon, The Most, The Least Likely. And what I mean by that is, I want to share a story about someone that God used that you and I would consider the least likely candidate. How many think that's interesting? Many times God chooses people that you and I would probably overlook. You would probably not see them as the key to reaching a community. And yet I believe as I'm looking across this auditorium today that you may qualify to be that person that God wants to use to reach an entire community. Is that an amazing thought? So let's take a look at what happens in this story that we're going to look at. And we find it in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I I wanted to, uh, I'll get back to Proverbs, but I wanted to focus on this in light of the fact that we have the launch, uh, preparing for our future launch there, that little insert that you have. And number two, our annual meetings tomorrow, we're going to talk about some things there. But I wanted you to get a little envisioning for me about why we're doing what we're doing, okay? We're not just going to church, folks. We have a direction, we have a a sense of purpose, we have a vision. And I want to show you how you individually, as well as collectively, have a part to play in all of this. So we pick this story up of Jesus meeting a woman in John chapter 4. And I want to just read a little bit of that to give us kind of the background. And then we'll kind of break it down and look at uh, how Jesus uses this person in a powerful way to reach a community. It says here in verse 1, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, it had a little parenthetical thought. The writer says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So she was kind of surprised he talked to her. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living waters. How many go though? That just sounds interesting conversation, right? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, wow. Give me that water. That's what she says, right? I just added a little emphasis there. I, I, I think she was excited. She says, sir, give me this water. First of all, she said, so that I won't get thirsty. Wouldn't that be great? I don't have to ever come back to this well again. If I ha- so I, and I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. You see, there was a prerequisite for her to have that experience that she could have this living water. He says, well, go get your husband. She goes, well, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you've rightly answered. You've had no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're with, he's not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. How many go, that was a politically embarrassing, offensive, uh, everything about that statement, probably Canadians wouldn't say this stuff, right? But Jesus did. 
So we got to ask ourselves, do I want to be like Jesus or I want to just be a Canadian? I'm just throwing it out there, you know. We'll get there. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. In other words, hey, you, you know stuff about me that only a, only a holy person can know this stuff. She says, then she gets spiritual. It's amazing how people get spiritual when you're, when you're talking about personal stuff. She goes, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, you Samaritans don't even know what you worship. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement. You, you, you guys are messed up. That's what, she, what he's saying. He says, we worship what we do know for salvations from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So what is he saying? Your religious way to God is inadequate. I'm going to tell you the way. Isn't that powerful? Now you go, well, all the anthropologists would be flipping out right now. They don't like that statement. I'm just telling you all the problems, you know. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I'm he, I'm the Messiah. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty exciting experience. We've been waiting for the Messiah and he finally showed up. What do you think of that thought? Isn't that, can you imagine? Just then his disciples returning were surprised to find him talking with a woman. First of all, he's talking to a woman. That was really abnormal. And number two, and, but no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? In other words, they then left. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Notice she doesn't say, yeah, I know, I've just met the Messiah. She said, hey, I've met a guy who knows all about me. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the, apost the disciples are urging him, Rabbi, here, have something to eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Then his disciples were talking to each other. Could someone have brought him food? They just saw the woman leave with nothing. They don't see any food there. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Wow. In other words, Jesus says, I'll tell you, there's something that satisfies the hunger in every soul. And I've just experienced it. I've just eaten of God's purpose and will. Well, let me just stop with the story that we'll finish it to the end. So the question, you know, what begins as a superficial conversation turns into a life-changing moment? How many think that's amazing? How many would like to be around and having a superficial conversation when it changes into a life-giving moment? Anybody want to be a part of that? We're going to pray for that at the end of the service, that you're going to be a part of that this week. Jesus has a way of challenging the status quo and breaking into the places of pain in our lives. How many say thank God for that? Jesus has a way of doing that. He just gets right in there. And you know what? It's not always comfortable. How many know when Jesus is pointing out something in your life, it's not always a comfortable feeling? Anybody have that experience where he's kind of po pointing at something in your life and you go, this has got to go, this has got to change? He was doing this to this woman. You know, regardless of the type of sin that traps us, Jesus is ready to set us free. I love that. I, I'm so thankful for that. Amen. There's a kind of math that uh, Haddon Robinson tells us, you know, because so often we're saying, yeah, I'm willing to be involved in, in, this, in this great plan of God and yet there's something that holds us back. Because sometimes we just are so busy, we're on a different page, a different agenda. What, why, why do we get there? And Haddon Robbins says there's a kind of math that has originated in the counting rooms of hell. 
This kind of math is always interested in reaching the masses, but somehow never gets down to a man or a woman. In other words, I'm out to win the world, but we never talk to a single person. There's a little bit of a disconnect there. How many see that? This kind of math always talks about winning the world for God, but doesn't think much about winning a neighborhood for God. Now we're getting more personal. Hey, just like, you know, uh, whatever. We could talk about donating. If, you know, if you had, I remember this farmer story. The preacher says, hey, if you had five pigs, would you donate one? Absolutely, Pastor. How about if you have one? No, you already know I only have one, Pastor. You know, it's, it's just like when you get right down to it, it gets a lot harder to do it. That's what we're talking about here. He says that math makes it heroic to cross oceans and never cross the street. And, you know, I find that sometimes even young people say, I want to go on a missions trip, but they're not willing to talk to their, you know, their roommate or their, their you know, somebody in their classroom. And the problem with that is it's harder actually to communicate cross-culturally. Because now they have a different language, a lot of them, or even if they understand English, their thinking is different. They're not, you know, it's a lot harder to reach people of different culture. You know, you're a great advantage to win people are the people you live near. Your own circle of influence are the people that you're most likely to impact. And that's what he's trying to get across to us. So what we need to discover is that we need to focus, I think, on the needs of individuals that God directs us to, and then become an instrument to impact the community. So we can actually pray, God, lead me to the, you know, I've, I've prayed this prayer, God, just lead me to people. Bring people into my life that are open and, and searching. And I believe there's a lot of people like that. And if we have that as a sincere prayer, God will answer that prayer. Now, I remember years ago, uh, one of my ministry mentors was telling me a story about a young uh, woman who worked in a cocktail lounge in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she became a follower of Christ. She got so excited about her faith, she was telling her friends and families, and then she invited them all to her water baptism service. And you know, she invited 32 family and friends to her water baptism service. And when she got baptized that night, and the pastor shared the gospel, all 32 became followers of Christ. Now, that's pretty amazing. It doesn't always happen that way. But I'm going to tell you something. People are far more receptive than we give them credit for. And when they see transformation in our lives, they're more open to hearing about the gospel. Now, it's interesting that Jesus just happened to pass through Samaria. Well, most Jews avoided it. And that's why it was a little shocking that he showed up on the scene. But you'll notice in verse 4 it says that he needed to go through Samaria. And who made him feel that way? His father. He was in prayer. God says, no, no long route around. Go right through. And he had no idea that he was about to meet somebody. I believe that Jesus was like us in many ways. He didn't know the future. He was just moving along, and the father was giving him detailed instructions moment by moment. And so I want to take a look at three major things we can learn from Jesus about how to reach out to other people. These are the lessons Jesus is going to teach us from this passage. The first one is to reevaluate our own life's purpose. Now, we know that Jesus lived to bring glory to the Father. But some of us, we're not so sure. We're so busy sometimes with all of the challenges that our life presents to us. A lot of times we live life for our personal security, our comfort, and our own prosperity. And we many times stay behind our self-made culturally conditioned barriers. And we live inside those comfort zones. And we don't want to get out of them because we're enjoying life where we're at. But here's what you need to know. People who impact the lives of others have to, first of all, reevaluate their own lives. It starts with ourselves. You know, to reach out to others requires we move beyond our, our little walls that we've created to protect ourselves. And we have to enter into the pain of other people's lives. 
that's a big step. You know, and the reason why we don't do it is we don't like to get involved because it's costly and inconvenient. How many know that's true? You get involved in somebody else's problems, all of a sudden it costs you something. And I've seen that. I've seen that people in our church have suffered as they've gotten involved with other people. But if we're going to be effective in reaching others, the focus must be on the other person, not ourselves. So when we reach beyond ourselves, we find that life becomes more meaningful, becomes richer. To remain contained within our comfort zones, actually it diminishes us. It leaves our lives unfulfilled and dissatisfied. We have a small world. God wants to open up our world. So here's Jesus breaking down some of the social conventions of his day. Remember, men didn't talk to women in public, especially when they didn't know him. And number two, he actually <clears throat> was a Jew who had nothing to do with Samaritans. And now he's relating to this lady. We read that. Remember the little line, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus, the Jew, is talking to the Samaritan woman. The other thing I notice is that the state of Jesus, he was on a long trip. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. What's that little saying when you're kind of getting, you're tired? Hangry. Yeah, you're hangry because you're hungry. You're hangry. You know, you're in, you're, it's, the most effective ministry many times is not when it's the most convenient. Sometimes the most effective times, it's not convenient for you personally. You can see this. Jesus could have said, hey, listen, let me get a bite to eat. Let me have a good night's sleep. Then I'll talk to you, right? But he doesn't do that. He's actually on this long trip, you know? So if we're going to be effective, we have to change our focus, and I think we can only be effective when our focus changes. Now, one of the greatest enemies to being an effective person is an enemy called indifference. And a number of years ago, uh, Eli Wenzel, who is a Holocaust survivor, was speaking in Washington, D.C. to the President of the United States. And this is a speech he made to him and, his, and the people that were gathered there in the White House. And he said this <clears throat> in his speech, and it was on indifference. He says, what is indifference? The root meaning of the word means no difference. It's a strange and unnatural state in which the lines blur between light and darkness, dust and dawn, crime and punishment, cruelty and compassion, good and evil. What are its courses and inescapable consequences? Indifference can be tempting, more than that, seductive. It is so much easier to look away from victims. In other words, I don't want to be involved, don't look there, right? I want to be indifferent. It's so much easier to avoid such rude interruptions to our work, our dreams, our hopes. And as a matter of fact, it's much easier to avoid these rude interruptions. After all, it's awkward, troublesome to be involved in another person's pain and despair. Yet for the person who is indifferent, his or her neighbor are of no consequence and therefore their lives are meaningless. Their hidden or even visible anguish is of no interest, and indifference reduces the other person to an abstraction. Indifference, after all, is more dangerous than anger and hatred. Anger can at times be creative. One writes a great poem, a great symphony. One does something special for the sake of humanity because one is angry at the injustice that one witnesses. But indifference is different. It's never creative. Even hatred at times may elicit a response. You can fight it, denounce it, disarm it. Indifference is not a response. 
It's not a beginning, it's not an end. And therefore, indifference is always the friend of the enemy. For it benefits the aggressor, never its victim, whose pain is magnified when he or she feels forgotten. The political prisoner in a cell, the hungry children, the homeless refugee, not to respond to their plight, not to relieve their solitude by offering them a spark of hope is to exile them from human memory. And in denying their humanity, he says, we betray our own. Is that powerful? He said, that's the problem with indifference. He said, you want to know why the Holocaust existed? Because people were indifferent. Do you want to know why abortion continues in Canada? Because most people are indifferent. Do you want to know why made MAID, medical assistance in dying, is going to be, you know, moving right along and taking people out? Because most people are indifferent. You know, it's a sad thing. Our politicians don't want to talk about moral issues. But meanwhile, they're legislating immorality. There's something wrong with this picture. You know, when we think of sin, we think of the sin that we commit. Isn't that true? But the Bible talks about another type of sin, the sin we don't do. It's called the sin of omission. You know, knowing what is right to do and not doing it, that's a sin. And that's probably one we're probably more guilty of. You know, when I talk to most Christians, not so much we're doing the bad things. The question is, are we doing the right things? That's the question we have to ask ourselves sometimes. And that's far more challenging, you know. So what is your life purpose? Personal safety, security, comfort, and prosperity? Or you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm here for one reason. God created me, and he created me for him. And I'm here to live for him, and I'm here to bring glory to his name. And however God wants to use me, I'm okay with that. That's powerful. When you get to that place, you are now a person ready to be deeply used by God. You may be the most unlikely person. You may not be the person most people would pick, but I'll tell you one thing. If your headspace is there, God's going to use you in a powerful way. Let me move on. Uh, the second major thing we can learn from Jesus about reaching out to others is recognizing divine opportunities. You know, every day... God's doing something in our lives. And he's going to bring people by in our paths. How many recognize that this was an unstructured meeting? It wasn't on the docket. It wasn't in the agenda. You know, a lot of times I've had you know, appointments, and then all of a sudden something happens, and I have an unstructured appointment. And many times that's exactly God's interested in that. You know, And so it's about people and their need. We have to be sensitive and open to those things. You know, here John gives us the background of this unusual meeting in John chapter 4, 1 to 6. We read it. Jesus now is heading through Samaria, and he's now tired. He's sitting at a well, and all of a sudden this woman comes up in the heat of the day. Already you know there's going to be a problem here. Here's a lady. You know, if, if she was on the inns with everybody in town, she'd have been there in the morning, right? But she probably got tired of being the subject of all the gossip and the shunning, so she just started coming up at noon all by herself. I would say she was probably the least likely person to reach a community because she didn't have a lot of friends. How many I can see that, Pastor? Wouldn't you put the, her down to be one of the most least likely people to actually reach that town? You know, and some of you sitting here saying, I'm probably one of the most least likely people that really impact Red Deer. Well, I'm going to point something out to you. If you have a meeting with Jesus today, you could be the most likely person to impact the community. That's what we need to understand today. So, in my own life, how many times... Have I, you know, struck gold or struck out? Isn't that true? I remember one time I went to Florida on a vacation with my, my family. Patty's family lives down there. And I was helping my brother-in-law. He owns a business, and he's kind of refurbishing and inst installing pool tables. Pool tables are heavy. They have slate 
you know. So I said, hey, no, I'll come and give you a hand. I wanted to hang with them. It's his company. I went out there. And this was an amazing uh, thing that happened. I really messed up because we got to this house. Guy opens the door, and his, he goes, hi, my name is Fred, and I'm a three-time loser. I mean, how many go, that's kind of an interesting introduction, right? <laughs> I should have clued in. Come on, Paul, this guy needs help, right? And he was telling us about all of his failed marriages and all the rest of it in his life, and I'm trying to work with my brother-in-law on his pool table and trying to listen to this guy. And I thought to myself afterwards, I should have just said to my brother-in-law, listen, can you handle, I mean, obviously, he was always doing this by himself anyway. I should have said, listen, I think I need to go talk to Fred instead of helping him at the pool table. I really messed it up, you know? That guy was ready to be spoken to, and I didn't spend the time talking to him. What a sad thing to do. I said, Lord, please forgive me, you know? Have you ever had those moments where you said, yep, really messed up. This was a golden opportunity. I didn't take advantage of it. Bingo. But, you know, I've had other moments in my life where I go, you know, this is awesome. I've connected with people. I've gotten built relationships with people. I met a young guy on an airplane from Edmonton to Montreal. He's originally from Germany. We connected with Felix. Eventually, we met Kim, and we've been having an ongoing relationship with them, which is awesome. Even though they're not believers, we're speaking into their lives. Or, you know, this last time coming home from India, we flew India to Calgary. That's a long trip, you know, from where Dr. Thomas lives. It's probably a 24-hour, 27-hour trip. It's really brutal. But anyways, we're flying back, and we ended up landing in Amsterdam. And how many have ever been to the Amsterdam airport? Anybody here been there? Okay, a few of you. And you get to this big open restaurant there, and I was sitting down, and Patty and I were ordering breakfast, sat down. And this young couple sits next to us, and we start talking, and they go, you guys are Americans, aren't you? We said, no, we're Canadians. I, I recognize that a accent, you know, if I knew you guys were, I said, well, actually, Patty is an American, so you did good. You recognized it. So we were chatting, and for the next two and a half hours, we were able to share the gospel with her and her husband. And they were on their way to Africa, and we had a great conversation. And, you know, if we open your hearts, God wants to talk to people. Even this past, yesterday, I was at a, a, a big birthday party, somebody celebrating their 80th birthday, and there was a couple there, and they'd come to our church a long time ago, and they said, do you remember us? And I go, no, I remember, I remember them, but I didn't know them very well. And so anyways, they started opening up and sharing. And so I sat and listened to them for a little while and realized they were going through a really a difficult time and just, you know, just said, hey, let's pray and just walked over. You know, I think we have to open up our hearts to people in need. That's what I'm getting at. If we do that, we'll have a lot of opportunities to minister to people. But let me move on to the third major thing we need to learn from Jesus about reaching out to others. We need not only to evaluate our own purpose. What's, why am I here? It's for others. Number two, it's for God to minister to others. Number two, see the divine, seize. I'm gonna not just say see them, seize them, right? The big difference, seize them, uh, the divine opportunities. And thirdly, willingness to risk being misunderstood. This is probably the hardest thing for us. We're good Canadians. We do not like offending people, but you know what? Our silence may be culturally acceptable, but it certainly isn't a loving thing to do. How many know that's true? Because if we're leaving people in the dark, if we're leaving people in pain, we're leaving people in brokenness, we're leaving people in confusion, are we really a loving person? I don't think so. So we have to take a risk. How many know life is filled with risks? And yes, I've taken risks and I've struck out and you've taken risks and people have said, yeah, I'm not interested. And I go, fine, that's good, I'll move on. But I've discovered something. There's a lot of people that are interested. That's the other thing I've noticed. And so often the reason we may not want to speak is 
Number one reason, I don't know what to say. How many here say, Pastor, that's probably my number one reason why I don't want to say anything because I just don't know what to say and I don't want to mess it up. Anybody relate to that? Isn't that true? Isn't that kind of where we're a little fearful of that? Anybody? That's kind of a little bit of it. Okay, you know, maybe we've said the wrong thing in the past in our minds, you know. Uh, now, let me just say this. We may not know the circumstances of their lives. Notice, Jesus didn't know, well, let me go back. Jesus was able to know what was in this woman's life. You and I are at a disadvantage. We may not know the whole story. But how many, after a while, the more you focus on other people and start paying attention, you learn a lot. Now, if you were Jesus, even if you weren't Jesus, let's say you were just his sidekick walking up to the woman at, uh, you're sitting at the well at 12 noon, and a woman comes up to her all by herself, already you know she's probably got some issues. Come on now. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. And I've discovered something. You know, a lot of people will tell you what their issues are. Anybody else discovered that? You know, sometimes just listening and asking a few questions, you know, just taking an interest, you get all kinds of information. I, I'm amazed at how much people are willing to tell people today. Isn't that the truth? And how many say that's true? I mean, they even do it on social media. I'm shocked at what people say on social media. I'm stunned all the time. So if you're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation and you look like you're a trustworthy person, you're probably going to tell you a few things. And I get all kinds of information coming my way because I take interest in what people are saying. You know, so I put down this. We can learn a lot about the circumstances by having a concerned heart and a listening ear. How many say that's true? If you take an interest in people, they will open up. And I've discovered something. If I do that, about 95% of the times, if I say to them and I've talked to them a little bit, and I say, hey, listen, you know, I would love to pray with you. This is so painful you're going through. Would you allow me to do that? I, I would say only very few people have ever said to me, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> That's, you know what I mean? But I've had a lot of people. I'd say 95% go, yeah, would you mind? And I just take them by the hand, start praying. I see tears coming down their face. That's usually the situation when people are in pain. They're, they're, somebody cares. And you'll notice that Jesus is engaging this woman in conversation, and he starts on a natural level. How many see that? He said, would you mind giving me a glass, a little bit of water here? Could you mind dragging, dragging some up? And, she, and of course, she goes, I can't believe you even talked to me. See, in her mind, it was so stunning that, first of all, a man spoke, perfect stranger, and secondly, she could tell by his clothing. He was a Jew, and she knew Jews don't associate with Samaritans. She was shocked. So Jesus opened it up. How many see that? He initiated the conversation, guys. I don't think it's wrong to initiate conversation. You know, I've done that a lot with people. I just started initiating conversation, just chatting with them. The next thing you know, we get into a whole conversation. I remember one time we were on, we were on Long Island traveling back and forth to New York City, and we're on our way back, and this lady was working on something, and I just said, are you a school teacher? She goes, no, I'm a lawyer. I said, well, really? We got in a whole conversation. By the time she got off that train, maybe 45 to an, a minutes to an hour later, we were like fully engaged, talking and relating Patty and I and this lady, it was amazing. People want to visit. Most of them do. It's interesting how much you can get across in a short period of time with people. And then we notice how the conversation shifted from the natural to the spiritual by creating interest. Notice how Jesus did it real simple. He said, you know, listen, 
If you only knew who was sitting here talking to you, I could give you living water. Wow, that was an interesting segue. So he moves from the natural to the supernatural. Don't you think we can do that? You know, I think we can. It's powerful. Jesus did it very naturally, moves right into the segue. And uh, so she's, she's still on the natural level. How are you going to give me this water? You have nothing to draw the water with. You know, isn't that an interesting question? So she's still on the natural level. And she says, well, are you even greater than Jacob? How many go, lady, do you know who you're talking to here? This is the guy that made Jacob, right? This is Yahweh in the flesh who's the creator of Jacob. You have somebody far more important than Jacob sitting here. I mean, that was their, that was their hero, the Samaritans. This was their, what, Jacob's well. That's where they were at. Jesus knew what was in her heart and was about to gently confront her about the issues in her life. And I think here's where we feel at a loss. We don't know what to say. We may argue, yeah, but Jesus knows what's going on. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. I'm afraid I'll mess them up. I'm afraid I'll feel like I'm meddling or offending. Notice how Jesus says, oh, why don't you go call your husband? Well, I haven't had, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right, you don't. Wow. How many go, Jesus is not Canadian here. (laughs) Anybody relate to that? He is now messing with all of us in this room. So you know sometimes we're really proud to be Canadian. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to. I'd rather be a Christian. I'm a Christian first, a Canadian second. We've got to make a decision, guys. Are we going to be Canadian first and Christian second or Christian first and Canadian second? I'm going to mess up sometimes. The only way to learn how to do this is walk in and say things without putting people down, but, you know, just say, hey, you know, there's a better way to do this. There's another way to look at this. You know, I, I remember one time we were in, Andrea was going to go sing. She was in the jazz choir. They're going to go to uh, Carnegie Hall. Big opportunity, Carnegie Hall, New York, wow. And so the music teacher had a meeting with all the parents and told us we have to raise money so these kids could go to Carnegie Hall. And you know what? The, she goes, well, how are we going to do it? The first thing out of people's mouth is, <clears throat> let's just go raise it from the casino. Right? That was the first thing out of their mouths, these parents. We'll just go work in the casino, raise the money, and send the kids off to Carnegie Hall. You know me? My hand goes up. I don't like this idea. I'm, not, I'm now not being a Canadian. I don't like this idea. No Canadian would say that. <clears throat> I, there's two reasons why I don't like this idea. Reason number one, I don't like us taking advantage of people's addictions to enrich ourselves. Number one reason. Second reason I don't like this idea is that we're making our young people irresponsible. It's their trip. We shouldn't be doing all the work for them. They should be part of the solution. Number two. Well, once you do that, they're all looking at you like, okay, so what are you going to come up with, buddy? And so I came up with an idea for them. I told them, hey, we could raise this money. This is how our young people could be the entertainment. We could have a special dinner. We could actually sell tickets. They could do a silent auction. They could go out and do this. I, I just put it all on the young people to start getting involved and helping raise their own money, and they would be able to perform to other people. I said, this is a win-win for everybody. We're not taking advantage of people who are addicted, and we're not letting our kids do nothing and going on a free trip. Guess what happened? They voted with me. The whole group shifted. Yay. And you know what was interesting is the music teacher from that point on used that as a fundraiser for the next decade. Ah. 
I'm just saying, isn't that good? Yeah, why not? You know what? We don't say anything. We don't say anything to people, so we don't see any changes. You know what happens? You know sharing our faith can bring people to a living and transforming faith. How many go, that's the upside? You don't know how open this person is. Sharing the gospel with them could change their life. You know, one day I was talking to a young man, and I said to this person, I said, hey, do you understand the gospel? They said, no. I said, would you be willing to give me a few minutes of your time, and I'll share this good news about Jesus with you? He said, yeah, I'm interested. So I began to share the gospel with him. I got to the end. You know what I said to this person? I said, would you like to receive Christ? You know what his answer was? I've been waiting for this all of my life. How do you like that response? See, the assumption is made that people are not interested. You know, that's a lie of the devil. I've been waiting for this all of my life. And he prayed and gave his life to Christ. That's beautiful. I love that. That's what it's about, right? Okay, when we fulfill God's purposes, our soul is renewed in the process. Notice what Jesus said. I have food to eat you know not of. What's that food? The will of God, folks. When you and I are doing what God wants us to do, there is a level of satisfaction you will feel like no other thing in your life. This is better than winning a million dollars. A million dollars can come and go, but I'll tell you something. To watch someone come to faith in Christ and experience eternal life, you know what that is? That's eternal. What I just described, a million bucks, that's temporary. As a matter of fact, I was reading this morning in Psalm 39. You know how fast your life is going to go by? It's a vapor. I just read it. You better, you know, recalibrate and start thinking, you know, what is my life all about? What's what's its purpose? May there grow a deeper sense of urgency. So what does Jesus tell now his disciples? You know, they're still talking about food. You can see what level they're on. They're thinking, where did he get the food from? You know? Isn't that amazing? Don't you love the disciples? They're so locked in. Isn't, aren't we kind of like them? We're kind of locked into that realm. Jesus goes, hey, there's, there's something that's far more satisfying. He says, there's a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. I can just see it as Jesus is looking. Here's the woman leading the whole village towards them. You know? Then he says, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labors. And so what's the result? The woman comes up there and these guys say, hey, listen, Jesus, could you stay for a few days? And he stayed with them for two days. And you know what they said at the end? This is what they said. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Not just the Jews. Not just the Samaritans. Jesus is the savior of everyone. And everyone needs a savior. Let's stand. So how many here say, you know what? I feel like I might be the least likeliest person to win a community. Anybody might feel that way? Just raise your hand. You say, I'm probably the least likeliest person to win a community. But I just pointed out to you right now, Jesus picked the least likeliest person. And she led her community back to Jesus. How many go? Wow. 
that an exciting thing? How many think, like, Lord, could you use me like that? Well, I can understand maybe God using you, Pastor. You're trained. I can understand Jesus, you know, doing it. But here was a woman so broken, so filled with pain. Her life was so messed up. You see, we think we have to have our lives totally together in order to be used of God. This woman just came to faith in Christ and then the same day brought the whole community to him. How many go, that's impressive. Anybody impressed by that? I'm really impressed by that. Because I think we have all kinds of reasons why we cannot do it. And I'm telling you today, here's a person, the least likeliest, in one day brought our whole community to Christ. That's amazing to me. But let's, let's go a little smaller here to start this week. How many here would like to say, would God send to me a divine opportunity? Anybody open for a divine opportunity this week? How many say, I want to be open to a divine opportunity this week? You know what's going to happen? You open, God says, okay, I'll do it. God is going to send people to you this week. So I want you to, we're going to pray right now. God, prepare my heart, even though I might feel to be the least likeliest person that you're going to use in this community, I believe that you're going to give me a divine opportunity, and I'm not going to worry about messing it up. I'm just going to stick my neck out and say what you want me to say and leave the results to you. And regardless of what happens, I've done my part. And I'm going to let you do your part. Your part is to convince people. Your part is to save people. Your part is to make Christ real to them. The work of the Spirit is going to do that. But I am willing, Lord, even though I might feel I am the least likeliest person to impact my community. I'm asking this week, Lord, that you will bring divine opportunities into my life. And I am going to open my eyes to it. And no matter how tired I am, no matter how hungry I am, no matter how thirsty I am, no matter how busy I am, no matter what my agenda is, I'm just going to push those things aside for the moment. And I'm going to say, Lord, this is my person that you've brought to my well. And you're going to use me. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.